I want to begin this morning by just simply asking you a question, and the question is this, uh, how much does God the Father love his son, Jesus? What do you think? How much? How would you measure that? Try to imagine that. I mean, you'd say maybe the father loves his son with an, with an infinite love, uh, loves his son um, in a way that's beyond our imagination. Uh, he, he loves his son with a love that's perfect, right? Now, let me read what Jesus says in John 15, verse 9. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Did you hear that? In the same way, as the Father loves Jesus, his Son, that's how much Jesus loves us. Incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of hard to wrap our, our, our minds all around that idea that Jesus loves us that much. I mean, if we were to rewrite that, that verse, you know, I might say something like, as the Father has loved Jesus... Now, let's cut that in half. Well, no, let's cut that in, thir- well, let's cut that in quarters. <laughs> and maybe that's how much Jesus loves me. I mean, that feels about right. But that's not what Jesus said. Now, some of you, you get um, the size of God's love for you, and your life shows it. Um, I mean, you praise God for his love, and you, you feel it. And I, 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 as I watch you, I, I learn from you. But my guess is there are many more of us here this morning <laughs> that you're like me. Um, and we struggle believing Jesus and what Jesus said in, in that verse. We say, no way. I mean, Jesus can't love me that much. Not as much as the Father loves his Son, And that's why Paul, I think, prays this prayer out of Ephesians chapter 3 for us. I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. We continue in our study um, uh, through Paul's letter here to these believers here in Ephesus. And we come in Ephesians, last half of Ephesians chapter 3, to a, I think, one of the most outstanding prayers in all of Scripture. Let's read Paul's prayer. Begin with me in verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before my Father. He's getting ready. He's preparing. He is getting ready to pray. For my Father, from whom every family, that's us, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, here's his prayer, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, there's a couple things that stand out when you, first of all, read that, that prayer, um, there's a question that I, I comes to mind when I, when I read that prayer right off the beginning. And that is, why does Paul pray for what we already have? You understand, this is a prayer for, 
for us. It's a prayer for believers, for those who are in Christ, right? And yet Paul prays some things that we have as Christians. We already have. Uh, in verse 16, in fact, uh, he prays that Christ might dwell in their hearts. Back in chapter, 20, or chapter 2, verse 22, he tells them that Christ already dwells in all Christians. Um, that through the Holy Spirit, that every person who becomes a Christian has Christ indwelling them. <laughs> So why does he pray this? Um, or in verse 18 and 19, Paul prays that these believers might grasp and know the love of Christ. But don't all Christians already know um, the love of Christ? I mean, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, they certainly tell us they do. I mean, listen, if you don't believe in the sacrificial love of Christ, how can you be a Christian? So why does Paul here, think about this, why does Paul pray for what we already have? I want to suggest the answer is because Paul understands that's one thing to possess something, but it's another to use it. It's one thing to have something, it's another to let what you have affect the way that you live. For example, um, just think about the possibility. Maybe one day you will inherit a huge sum of money. Let's imagine you, you uh, inherit this huge sum of money, and it's all yours, and you put it into a, uh, your, your bank account, and it's sitting there in the bank ready for you to use, right? And yet maybe on a specific night, because you forgot your wallet at home, and you you don't have any credit cards or your ATM card or any cash with you, um, you may find yourself cold and as hungry as if that money isn't yours. I mean, it's legally yours, right? It's there in the bank for you. But experientially and practically, it's not. Although you possess it at that moment, it's not affecting the way that you live. See, I think that's what Paul's referring to here. Paul is praying fervently that these believers, that they might get what they already have. Because evidently, what they have is not affecting their lives. And I got to tell you, I, I, would, I, I think that's most of us. For so many of us, um, we're not being shaped by what is already ours. And that's why Paul can pray this prayer for us, why he can pray this prayer for the believer. And I want you to notice something else in, in, in this prayer. Another observation is the fact that, did you see that Paul doesn't say anything here about anyone's uh, praying for anyone's physical or financial needs? Do you notice that? Why not? I mean, certainly people in the first century, I mean, they faced all sorts of uh, danger. I mean, from illnesses to, to persecution. Having food for, for the next day was a challenge for them, as was just making a living. Life was anything but easy in Paul's day. And yet not once, not once in this prayer does Paul mention any of these needs. 
See, you and I, I think, we believe that our big problems are those problems we have in the, in the physical area or the, or the financial area of our lives. Or maybe there's an issue in your marriage or, or a struggle with your children. And we think those are our big needs, and so we pray for them. But Paul says, yes, yes, th- those are needs, and certainly you should pray for them. But they're not your biggest need. So what's your biggest need? What's our biggest need? I mean, what does Paul pray for here? He makes three requests. John Stott um, uh, compares it to a, a, like a, a prayer staircase. Uh, and I like that. Um, because there's a progression in, in this prayer. Paul's prayer builds. So what does this prayer staircase consist of? Well, you'll find three key words in, in Paul's prayer here. The first one is strength. And the second one is knowledge. And the third one is fullness. And at the core of this, this staircase, it revolves around the biggest request of knowing the love of God. The first request Paul makes of God for us is that we might be strengthened inwardly by the Holy Spirit. Do you notice in this passage that Paul is dealing with the heart? He's dealing with the inner person? I mean, look with me, starting in verse 16. He says here, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I mean, this passage, I mean, it's very much about the Holy Spirit and, and his power and the, and the power that he can give you. Now, typically, when I think of the, about the Holy Spirit and, and power, I think about the uh, power to do this or power to do that or uh, the power to perform miracles or the, or the power to change people's lives. But that is not what Paul's praying for here. Paul is praying, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's inner power for us, um, a strengthening and controlling influence to be in our lives so that we can know and understand the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge. Paul is dealing with a heart issue. He's praying for the inner person, the control center of your entire personality. He, he's not just de- dealing with symptoms or, or, or byproducts. You know, when I get a bad cold, um, I take NyQuil, okay? I take NyQuil because usually what happens is um, my NyQuil takes care of those, those symptoms of coughing or whatever else uh, would keep me awake. And fa- basically, NyQuil wipes me out, Okay? Uh, puts me to sleep. Uh, um, but probably what I uh, need most is, rather NyQuil is rather to, is to eat my vegetables on a more regular basis and uh, work on my overall health um, so my body can actually fight off that sickness. Instead, I settle for NyQuil. Um, you know, it's fine and it, it gets me through the night. See, I, I can tell you, Paul's prayer here. Um, is not just to get us through the night. He's praying that the Holy Spirit might give us the strength in our inner being for our heart. You know, my time as pastor here over the years, I, 
I see now that I oftentimes have um, looked more at the external issues in ministry. You know, asking questions like, um, why don't you serve more? Why don't you share your faith more? Why do you keep looking at pornography? Um, why do you keep fighting in your marriage? Um, you understand, those are all symptoms, really, of a deeper heart issue. So you say, well, what's the deeper heart issue? Well, that's Paul's second request. That they might grasp and know Christ's love. Look with me, verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Um. He's asking um, that the power of the Holy Spirit that, com that comes into the inner being be given them so that they could grasp and know the love of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, probably everyone here who has ever been married has at one time or another uh, said to themselves, or, or maybe you've said this to your spouse, um, you know, I know we're married but I don't feel married. In fact, I, I mean, I, I don't doubt your love for me, but you know, right now, I don't feel your love for me because you don't express your love to me in a way that uh, uh, consoles and comforts and delights me. When Paul says here, I'm praying that the Spirit will empower your inner being to know the love of Christ, he's not saying that I pray that you will understand the concept of God's love intellectually but that you'll experience Christ's love. That's the core of his prayer. Paul's prayer is that we might have this, this inner experience through which Christ's love and Christ's approval becomes more real to us than any other person. That his love is more affecting, more significant than the, than, than the love of your spouse and the love of your parents and the love of your children. Love, that his love would be more sweet than, uh, than any professional achievement or, or uh, financial status. Because when you actually experience the love of Christ, all those other things, they lose their driving force. Author Mike Iaconelli tells about a time that he was traveling. He, he writes, um, I travel a lot. I came to San Francisco one night and Missed my connection back home. I was angry, upset. I called my son on the phone. I, I wanted him just to encourage me. I said, man, I'm stuck in the airport. It's been a horrible day. I, I've been traveling way too much. My son said, you know, Dad, if you didn't travel so much, you wouldn't have things happen like this. <laughs> he writes, well, I didn't appreciate that. I was ticked off. I said, well, let me talk to your son, Iaconelli's two-year-old grandson. Well, I forgot that when you're two, you can't talk, and when you're 60, you can't really hear. That's not a good combination. He's mumbling on the phone, and I'm hoping this is going to make me feel better, but it's making me just feel worse. Finally, I've had it. 
I hear the phone drop onto the floor. Now I hear the kids playing. I'm stuck in the airport. I am having this miserable experience. I'm furious and angry when all of a sudden I hear crystal clear over the phone, I love you, Grandpa. You know what? All my anxiety, everything went out the window. When you actually experience the love of Christ, all your worries, all those things that that keep you up at night, our need for success, all that stuff, it loses its driving force. If only we could just stop for a minute and could hear the God of this universe whose love surpasses our understanding, if only we could stop and hear him whisper to us, I love you. That's Paul's prayer for us, that that would happen for each one of us. And then we come to the third step in this progression. It's, it's uh, what will happen when we grasp and, and know Christ's love in our inner being. And it's that we might be filled with God's fullness. I mean, this is the climax of this prayer staircase. Look with me at the end of verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what's it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, Paul is praying that we might be filled with the fullness of God himself. In other words, perfection. It's a prayer that we might be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Or put in another way, this is a prayer that we might become more and more like Jesus Christ. I mean, how can a person know if they're being filled with the fullness of God? Well, I got to tell you, it's more than just an emotional experience. Being filled with God's fullness, what will happen is it changes the way that you, you live. Christ is gradually being formed in you. Listen, if you're just as anxious just as driven, just as greedy, just as insecure, just as needy as you were last year, I want to suggest to you that you have not had this experience. You have not actually experienced the love of Christ, and it has not affected your mind and your your will and your emotions. You have not had this fullness of, of life because if you actually experience the love of Christ in your innermost being, then it will change the way that you live. Gradually, yes, but permanently. And that's what Paul's praying for. And can I tell you something? That's my prayer for you. In fact, that's my prayer for my family. In fact, that's my prayer for myself. (laughs) See, our biggest need is to experientially know more and more and more of the love of Christ and to know it in such a way that it changes us. So you say, well, that sounds great, but how do you receive it? How can we experientially know more and more of the love of Christ? Well, he gives us, Paul here, he gives us three practical ideas here in in the midst of this this prayer. First of all, prayerfully seek it. 
You, you ever ask, wonder, why doesn't Paul just give these Ephesian believers a list of four or five different things they could do in order to know um, Christ's love? It's because to experience Christ's love, that, that's a gift. Do you notice that word back up in uh, verse 16, that little word grant? Grant? <laughs> Paul is saying that no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you work, um, he can't make you understand how much Jesus loves you. God, see, has to do the supernatural by the power of the Holy Spirit, experientially knowing the love of Christ. That's a gift. And it happens through prayer. Have you ever tried um, to make a person fall in love with somebody? You know? It can't be done, can it? I mean, the closest thing I've ever experienced in, in this was when my brother-in-law, Steve, um, who we were in seminary together, introduced me to my wife, Becky. We were seminary students together, and, and I was single. Steve was married. Steve invited me over to his apartment, uh, you know, to have supper. And there was Becky. Walk in the apartment door. Steve says, Joel, this is Becky. Becky, this is the man I want you to marry. True. <laughs> Honest truth. That's a story. But I got to tell you, even that didn't make Becky fall in love with me. In fact, it did quite the opposite. Um, it almost prevented us from, from going out. In fact, we ended up going out on our first date just to get Steve off our backs, really. Listen, you can't make another person fall in love with another person. That's what Paul is saying here. I can't make you fall in love with Jesus. I can make an introduction you can walk in the room and I can tell you all about who God is, that he's the, the, the creator of the, the world. Um, he's the only one who matters, that, that he loves you, that he's crazy about you. In fact, even when you were a sinner, that he went to the cross and died for you. And after all of that explanation, that introduction, you might respond, hmm, that's good. <laughs> See, I can make the introduction to God, and you might even accept it intellectually, but nothing will happen inside of you until, as Paul says, the Holy Spirit gives you a strength to experientially know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then you can say, oh, he loves us. I get it. And when that happens, the pull of this world will lose its force. And so, listen, I pray this for you. That you would experience the incredible love of Christ and that you would love God more than you, than you love your sin. So I suggest prayerfully, prayerfully seek Christ's love. Second, aggressively wrestle for it. In verse 18, Paul uses the very uh, kind of a unique word here. Um, the ESV has it translated comprehend. The NIV translates it grasp. Literally, the word means to overtake someone and wrestle them to the ground to rob them. <laughs> 
Corporately, it means to overtake and plunder a city. Now, listen, Paul is not telling us that we are to wrestle God to the ground and rob him, but rather we are to wrestle um, to the ground the doctrines of God and to rob them of their truths. For example, um, go back to that verse I quoted at the very beginning of this uh, sermon, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus said. I mean, you can read that like I have, you know, many times. And then you can just move on. But knowing that Jesus loves you, intellectually, that's not enough. We need to aggressively wrestle with that verse. I mean... What does that look like? What's that mean? That Christ loves me as the Father loves him. We need to meditate that. Let the riches of that, of that verse just sink in and change how you live. We need to prayerfully seek Christ's love. We need to aggressively wrestle for Christ's love. And third, we need to get in community to experience Christ's love. Do you notice that little phrase in verse 18? It says, with all the saints, <laughs> with all the saints. See, the best way to experience the love of Christ is not in isolation. It's not. It's not going up to the lake and just sitting there and, and, and getting off by yourself and meditating. No, the best way to experience the love of God is with all of the saints, sitting down with others, studying the text together, and then putting it into practice. I mean, that's the great thing about this happening right here this morning, this corporate worship. Um, together, we get to talk about Christ's love, and we can wrestle with a text together. Listen, we, we put this booklet together, this booklet on Ephesians, and we've been encouraging you to go through that with a small group, get connected somewhere you need to be connected. You have to be part of the community. You have to be part of the church. All the saints. See, your biggest need, my biggest need, is to experientially know the love of Christ, and not just once, but over and over and over again. And so to help us out, I think, what Paul does to get us started here, he, he, he pushes us to consider the love of Christ in all of its dimensions, its breadth and its length and its height and its depth. Do you know anything about the, the breadth of the love of Christ? The book of Revelation, passage we read just a moment ago in service, tells us in the last day we will sing to the Lamb of Christ. And that song will include the words, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God. Listen to this. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. Pause for a moment. Let's wrestle with those words of that song. From every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Friends, listen, when you believe Jesus Christ died for you, that truth changes you. And it doesn't matter the century that you were born in or the, or the culture or the race or the, or, or, or the language, no matter the class. 
Do you know the breadth of Christ's love? Do you know the length of Christ's love? Ever thought about that? Revelation 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. <laughs> What's that mean? It means that in the depth of time, he decided to lose everything to save us. And nothing stopped him. Endless centuries went by and he came and, and then he was betrayed and then he, he was deserted and, and mocked and, and, and rejected and he stayed on that cross because of his love for us. He stayed. And listen, billions of years from now, we will continue to enjoy his love. Have you ever considered the length of the love of Christ? Do you know the height of Christ's love? In Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, Father, I'm giving myself to save them so I can give them the glory you and I had together before the foundation of the world. Amazing. He's saying, I'm doing all of this so that I can bring them, you and I, up to the pinnacle with him so I can give them the glory that the Godhead had before all of creation. Now listen, in reality, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that means. Don't email me and ask me, what does that mean? Because I don't know. <laughs> but just wrestling with it will give you a nosebleed, won't it? It's the height of the love of Christ. Have you seen the depth of Jesus' love? How about Philippians chapter 2? Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. In other words, because of his love for us, he became a slug. Even worse than that, he died. Worse than that, he was rejected by his father. Have you ever been walloped by a wave? Water weighs 64 pounds per cubic foot, and there are 27 cubic feet in one cubic yard. So a cubic yard of an ocean wave weighs 1,728 pounds. <laughs> I mean, the original VW Bug only weighs 1,650 pounds. No wonder one wave packs such a powerful punch. But can you imagine the crushing weight of the whole ocean? Yet that would be nothing compared to the crushing weight of the infinite justice of God that walloped Christ on the cross because of his love for us. Do you know the depth of Christ's love? Friends, your biggest need, my biggest need, is to know and experience Christ's immeasurable love. And not just once, but over and over and over and over again. The love of God is something we all need to know and experience intimately, so much so that it changes who we are and how we live. So prayerfully seek it. Aggressively wrestle for it. Get into community and go after it. And here's my invitation for you this morning. Would you pray this prayer 
for yourself? Would you pray this prayer for us, for each other? Would you pray this prayer for me? Now, to be honest, I don't know how God's going to accomplish all of this. In fact, I don't think Paul did either. I mean, look at his benediction. Look at verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. <laughs> um, when Paul says we there and uses that word us, he's including himself. <laughs> Even he can't fully understand or imagine all that God's going to do for us. But Paul is confident that God can do it. Friends, I got to tell you, my mind stops right there. All that remains to say is simply, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your immeasurable love for us. And God, I pray for each person that hears my voice this morning that knows you, that is in you, that is in the family, that God, we might experience more and more, know more intimately, more and more of your love each day. so that, God, we might be changed. We don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but we're confident that you will. We commit ourselves to following you in your son's precious name. Amen.